Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. May sound very on Mother's Day-like, but I think I've heard that expression from some mothers at times. It feels like I have nowhere to run. I ain't got nowhere to go. Even the best mothers have felt this way. And sometimes this is what happens. Maybe this is what happens someday. No, not that. Dad's out shoveling in the driveway. Mom desperately needed a treat to get through the rest of the night. So I'm hiding in the pantry. Eating a treat. Is that wrong? They don't ever go away. They want everything you have. See? She's always there. Hi. 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 Mm. Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go, not even in the pantry or the bathroom or other places. Well, we're in the middle of our series, Born in the USA, and if you need to catch up, uh, there's many ways to do that. You also can pick up a CD off at guest services just to find out a little bit more about some of the things we've uh, been covering. And this, in a sense, is a part two of what we began discussing last week when we started discussing about impossible situations. Now, now, I have to say that uh, I really um, had a good mom growing up, and, and I really actually have to say that because she's actually here this morning, so I have to really say it. But, uh, you know, with all the good things, there were still some things that weren't so good. And, 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 the, and the, my, the main thing that uh, strikes me to this day is the fact of how she would dress my brother and myself. And she thought it was very cutesy to have us wearing the same outfit. So here we are, I don't know why, where she got those two little, uh, that plaid, this plaid striped, I don't know what that is. And, and, then, and then there's this one that in my mind uh, takes, takes the cake, the golden vest things. Um, and uh, dad, I have to pick on you even though it's not Mother's Day, nice haircut there. But uh, anyway, you know, dressing up the same way. But besides that, th things, were, things were pretty good uh, growing up. But I, I but as I grew up, I started to realize that uh, mom had superpowers. And uh, some of those superpowers you saw in the opening video where she kind of knew what was going on, even when I thought she didn't know what was going on. And so through the years that I've thought about moms, I've seen my own wife in action as a mom, I've seen my mother-in-law in action and many other moms, uh, I really have come to the conclusion that this, and it's not in your message guide notes, this really is the perfect Mother's Day uh, a verse. I, I think it should be plastered on refrigerators, and this is it. Jesus says this, listen, I'm sending you out like sheep to a pack of wolves. You must be as cautious as snakes and as gentle as doves. And the idea here is that they've got to walk that fine line of knowing exactly what's going on and at the same time, being sweet, nice mom. And so it's quite, quite, the, uh, quite the, the dance, quite the tension of walking through that. And, and again, and it, to me, it's just it's superhuman strength. It's, it's really seeing them speak into uh, what, what to me seems impossible when they would figure these things out. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, not really feeling like going to school one morning. 
And actually, I felt like that every morning, but this morning I was going to act on it. And so I came up with this scheme. Please don't do this. You might get burned. What I would do is I'd take my little desk lamp and put like the heat on my forehead. And then very quickly, I'd run upstairs while my mom was still in bed. I said, Ma, I don't feel good. Put your head on my forehead. She'd go, ooh, you feel pretty warm. Maybe you should stay home from school, you know. And so, you know, I would do this, and, and uh, it worked maybe once or twice. And one time it worked. I was in high school, probably 16 or 17. Is that sick? 16 or 17. And, and I went up, and I did the whole thing. And she said, uh, I guess you shouldn't go to school today. Go, you know. And, and then what happened, though, was that night there was a youth group event going on. We're actually sleeping over at the church. And I don't know if it was about 9.30 in the morning that she actually wrote on a piece of paper. That's all we had back then. Piece of paper. She wrote, I think David's getting better. I think by 3 o'clock he'll start to talk. He's feeling really better. I think he's going to try to get to go to the youth group thing tonight. And she stuffed it around, put a little time stamp on it, and stuck it somewhere. So sure enough, that happens. And she, you know, I don't know, it's 3 or 4 o'clock. She pulls that out, and I'm like, how did she know that? You know, and I, my mom didn't lie, so I knew she had not just written it. She had written it in the morning. You see, this, this, she, could, she could be in what I would consider a kind of impossible situation and should make it possible. She was, she was as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent, as some other translations put it. So this idea of this being, being able to navigate in impossible situations, we've all seen that with our moms or some moms. And we've seen that just, that's just unbelievable how they did that. Well, Daniel's in kind of the same situation, but it's a life situation. He's in an impossible situation. And especially, we started talking about that last week, but he's been taken as a, as a 15-year-old to a foreign country. His, his city has been wiped out. His parents were probably most likely wiped out. And now they were trying to indoctrinate him into this whole system. And so he's stuck in this place. And the first few weeks, we talked about him being trapped and being stuck. And, and what's amazing about Daniel is no matter what seems to come his way, he just doesn't survive. He thrives. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't shrink back. He, he embraces who he is as a, as a person of faith and continues to navigate through and and he does that, again, not just surviving, but thriving. And this situation comes up, which we introduced last week in uh, Daniel chapter 2. And this really sums up what's going on. And this is the other people that are involved in the situation say this. Nothing, nobody anywhere can do what you ask. You are asking, what you are asking is impossible. And what they had done, and we're going to fly through that section, but what they had done is Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream, and he had all these magicians, these dream interpreter people all around him, and, and Daniel and his friends were part of these noble, noble nobility that had been stolen from Jerusalem, and now they were trying to get them up to speed so they could join this cluster of, of people and do all these kinds of things. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and somehow in his mind, he gets this idea that if these guys are worth their salt, they ought to be able to tell me what the dream I had was, and then they ought to tell me what it means. And that is just impossible. They were, they were wanting him to tell them the dream, and then they could make up something, what it means, but he wasn't buying it anymore. And so there's this impossible situation, and he gets so angry at them 
that he says, if you can't tell me, you're going to all be executed. And that includes Daniel and some of his friends. And, and they're just, again, in this impossible situation. And as we left last week, we saw that in the impossible, there is possibilities. Impossible is possible. And so no matter what you and I are facing, we're probably not facing the same circumstance that Daniel is, but somehow Daniel, he just he, he, he navigates through these things. And he does it from age 15 to into his middle 80s. At every age and stage, he, he navigates well. He does it right. Not for this week, but last week we saw the why the impossible. So if you want to go back and find out why God allows these things to happen, uh, we talked about the why of the impossibility. But as we get back into Daniel 2, we're going to start to look into the whole idea of what to do with the impossibility. And again, in these verses 1 through 12, we see this whole situation unfolding I love this line here. Well, I don't really love this line, but it's terrible. You know, he says, if you can't do this, I will cut you into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I will erase you from existence. There'll be nothing that says you were here. This is the impossibility of this situation. And again, they say, this is just way too difficult. So what, what do you and I do when faced with the impossible? Because all of us are either coming out of it, and we're trying to figure out what that just meant, or we're in the middle of it, or we're going, or it's just on the horizon. We're always going to be placed in these situations that are impossible. And can we not just survive it, but can we thrive in it? And some of us are going to face these moments that are impossible for the duration of our life. Some of us have health things that are just not going away. They're just not going away. We're going to have to deal with that. Some of us are in relational situations. Some of us are in financial situations that are, that are impossible. And we go, oh, the weight of this, it is impossible. But as we started to talk about last week, that when you and I enter into a relationship with God through Christ, when we say yes to him, we can find that it is possible to function in the impossible. It is, it is possible. And so Daniel has a lot to say about this in the way he responds to, to what he does. Verse 13 says this, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. I mean, this is in live time. This is happening. King is ripping at them. I think there's some irony. He's afraid of this, uh, this, what this vision, this dream could mean, but he's also sick and tired of these, these guys that make a big stink about everything and act like they have all this wisdom and all these special powers, and, and it's, just, it's just a game. He's kind of getting that. We talked a little bit about those kinds of things the first week. And in our first response, we see from Daniel is this. Uh, last week we said, don't be afraid, but this week I wanted to say it this way. We see it to, that he is calm and responsive. Calm and responsive. It, it's happening, it's live. The men are going to find Daniel's friends because it's time for everybody to be executed. Uh, you can think of times where all of a sudden you're in the middle of a crisis and it just like happens. And, and we know that we're in the middle of those crises. It is very easy to be reactionary. 
rather than responsive. Sometimes we want to train ourselves. Our, our, um, thankfully, our police and our military and our medical people, they train so they're not caught up in the crisis so they can respond to it rather than react to it. Because all of us have been in those situations where we have not been calm, not been responsive, and we make it worse. So Daniel, 17-year-old, we're saying this is two years into this three-year training. This is all unfolding. This is what he does. Uh, he, he sees the commander of the king's guard has gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, which includes him. And Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact. This 17-year-old is calm and responsive. You know, when we, when we think about what's going on in our lives or the possibilities of what is going on in our lives, the impossible thing that's weighing us down, we can learn a lot from Daniel, slowing down, taking a deep breath, and, and trying to lean into wisdom and tact. Earlier on in this series, we talked about how Daniel, when it came to the dietary laws that were being imposed on him, he, he wasn't demanding. He asked he said, is there another way? He didn't march and picket around the palace. If he did that, that would have been the end. He was calm and responsive. He attacked. So really quickly, the question we have to ask ourselves when it comes to one of these eight things we're talking about is this. What am I rattled about today? What am I rattled about? What, what is unnerving me? What is, what, is, what is causing me to sleep? Because it's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar is not being calm and responsive. He's freaking out and being reactionary. I, Daniel, we know how his life is going to unfold because we see it in, in the writings of Daniel. But uh, Daniel's a good guy to have in the court of the kingdom. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is, in a sense, you know, cutting himself off if, if he takes out Daniel and his friends. Daniel's friends will make a huge difference. Sometimes you and I get rattled, and we may not go to execute someone. But our words, our tone, our posture is the same as executing their spirit, their heart. We tear them down. What's rattling us? I could share you stories of when I was rattled by something and I would come into my home and I would bring the rattling with me and I would treat my wife and my kids not the way they should be treated. Not horribly, but just not the... I would let all my energy be used up and it would affect the way I interacted with them. I was reactionary. I wasn't calm and responsive. And what I... I, I almost... I must go, this must be made up. How could any 17-year-old be this way? Well, we've already talked about earlier that he made spiritual deposits in his life so the resources were there that when the impossible was really laid out before him, he was calm and responsive. Number two, we need to understand the specifics and motivations. We need to... What, what's causing this? What, what, is, what is causing this craziness? What is causing this impossible demand? Uh, 
Sometimes there's people in our lives that can put the impossible on top of us. There are expectations. Sometimes at work, get this done now, this way, this way, this way. And you go, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the capacity. And you're like stuck. You gotta, why is this person acting that way? Why is this person putting the impossible on me? Why, why am I here? You know, for the king? Daniel talks to him. He asks the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And then Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Why, why did he do this? If you and I are going to get into these impossible things, especially the ones that are put on us, or the ones that are just a part of living in a broken world, we need to understand what's, what's going on. What do I need to recognize in this impossible situation? How do I need to decode it? Figure it out, take it apart so that I can see what the next steps are. And uh, in another story, which we're going to see in the next few weeks, we're going to see that, you know, all of us are, maybe those of us who are familiar with the story know the outcome and it works out great and everything. But, but there are times where Daniel and his friends don't know if the outcome's going to work out. And, and they actually raise that in a situation. Daniel doesn't know how this is going to work out. There are sometimes impossible situations that don't work out great. But you at least need to slow down and understand it. I, sometimes we've got to understand ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves, why am I coming unglued? Why did something so little, so small, push all my buttons? And you might discover it's not even the situation. It's you. Maybe it's something that happened a while ago, a few years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Maybe it's a comment that someone said to you, and all of a sudden you get a little bit of a hint of that, and all of a sudden you're right back there 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And you need to recognize that in yourself. You need to recognize that in the situations. What do I need to recognize? Daniel wants to see what the issue really is. Why would the king act this way? So he rest, requests some time to develop a solution. Daniel goes in and sees the king and he goes, yeah, yeah I, need to, I need some time to, to, to see if I can figure this out. So he might interpret the dream for him. And in, in this case, we see that the king gives her some time, uh, sometimes just being reasonable. Sometimes you and I need to look at the answer that's right in front of us and go, that doesn't seem like a viable answer. Uh, so you request time. Uh, we're going to see that Daniel uh, spends time in prayer when this happens. Uh, he, he really, he really, he, he goes to the king. He, 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 he just figures out that he goes to the, the source of the problem. Uh, he went. He didn't wait. You know, sometimes when you and I have a problem, it, it paralyzes us, and we do nothing. Now, there are times to do nothing, but there are sometimes where we do nothing, not because it's some strategy, not because we're trying to work the problem out. We're doing nothing because we're just doing nothing. We're procrastinating, and, and we need to ask ourselves, why am I delaying? Why am I not engaging in whatever this impossibility is? Why am I not working the problem, trying to figure it out? And we may get to the conclusion, it's going to be just the way it's going to be. But we're kind of letting it run us rather than us trying to run it. Why am I delaying it? Why am I procrastinating? When I was thinking about this, I noticed on the outside of my house, we've got a little hornet's nest forming. 
And, uh, you know, it, uh, this isn't it, but this is a sample of it. And, you know, this is in obviously speed time. These uh, hornets aren't this fast, but uh, they're, they're working their way. And right now it's not a big deal, but eventually that hornet's nest gets to be a big deal. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually those hornets are going to start to start to bother us, start to create problems. Yet right now you can kind of just put it off and not deal with it. This was another hornet's nest that kind of left too long. Isn't that gross? It looks like a guy, but that's a real hornet's nest. And um, you know that got to be a huge problem. Some of us have the bees collecting in the eaves of somewhere of our lives, and they're starting to make the hornet's nest. And it's not really bothering us that much. So we just keep putting it off. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's the bees are starting to buzz around, and now the hornet's nest is this big. And you just keep putting it off, putting it off, and putting it off. And now you're starting to find bees in your house, and you're just not dealing with it. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and worse. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's another impossible situation. Maybe it's your health. Maybe there are some things you can do. We joked about two back, Big Macs last week, didn't we? And uh, maybe that's something you can do. Whatever it may be, are there, are there, is there a little nest being formed? And we just kind of procrastinate and we delay and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some time, it becomes a huge, huge problem because we've let it just kind of hang there. Even now, you may be thinking, oh, yeah, I've got two or three of those. I've got a lot of those. Maybe I've got a nest that's huge now. Why keep delaying it? It's going to get worse. Daniel doesn't do that. He takes time. He engages. He starts to put some actions in place. Develop a support team. Uh, Friends. Uh, Some of our friends are not a support team. I'm talking about the, the three or four or five people you would call if you needed something, if, if you needed someone to pray for something, who would you call? Who, who are those five people that you would, you would just pick up the phone immediately? There's, there's an accident, there's this that happens, and, and you call these people. Do you have those in your life? Daniel did. Daniel returns to the house and explains to his three friends, and he urges them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the men of Babylon. That's one reason we emphasize small group, community group, service, because you get to know other people. Here is great, but when you're sitting in rows, you don't know other people the same way when you sit in a circle. And you just sit in a circle, you start to say, there's somebody I would like to be praying for me when I have, have a need. And then hopefully you become the kind of person that they say, there's somebody I want to have praying for me, and you're that person. You develop a support team. You develop friends. And so the question we ask ourselves is, what kind of friends do I have? Do I have those kinds of friends? Do I have friends that I would say, plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning what's going on in my life? And you say, I'm happy to have that person praying for me. I have a few people that uh, uh, continually now, they're, they're older folks. I've had connections with them over the years. And, and I get emails or I get little notes or I get little uh, uh, Facebook things that just say they're praying for me. And they pray for me every Sunday. And I love that because I know when they're praying, 
I just imagine wherever they're praying, some, some are down south, some are up north. I'm just, just imagining them sitting in their place where they're praying. Uh, one, one, one sweet older lady lives in an assisted care place, uh, and I'm just imagining, it's a big skyscraper kind of thing, 15, 16 floors, maybe that's not big, but it's big to me. And it's this big building, and she has a little, little spot in there, and I, I, I know this morning she, she, she was praying for me. And uh, she was supporting me in that way, uh, you, you know. So what, what kind of friends do you have? Do you have friends that will, will speak into your lives? We talk about this often. Um, do you have a friend like this guy? Do you have friends who exhibit any of the following traits, low energy, tangled hair, or self-righteousness? Do they drive a 40-year-old VW bus or have an obsession with farmer's markets? Do they annoy you? If so, your friends might be vegans. And you know what? Real friends don't let friends eat vegan. Wouldn't you rather see your friends nourishing their bodies with complete proteins and tasteful enjoyment? But they can't do it on their own. They need your help. And unless you're the beef jerky fairy, you can't help them on your own. That's why Beef Jerky Outlet is here to help you help your vegan friends. They have an array of wonderful jerkies that make the perfect gift to help your friends rise above the challenges of veganism. Be a good friend and help your friends with the gift of jerky. I just care about you, man. Yeah, have somebody like that. Now, I'd say go over to Schrader's and get some jerky. I just had something like that on uh, Thursday, I think I picked up a package. But anyway, but do you have friends that actually can speak into your life? Your friends that would tackle you in a sense. Um, I'm just going to fly through this. You'll see this on Facebook. If you're a friend of us on Facebook, uh, there's a little blog article that's being posted this morning that says, uh, friends that will ruin your life. And they come up with uh, a few things. Uh, the friends that uh, tell you what you want to hear, those kinds of friends. This is in your notes. Uh, those that aren't serious about God, those kinds of friends. No ambition friend. And, and I love this Francis Chan um, quote. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And, uh, you know, the attention must be on me, friend. The everyone else is doing it, friend. The seize the worst in every situation or worse than everything, friend. And the doesn't know how to forgive, friend. And that's just not for young people. It's for all of us. What kind of friends do you have? Daniel had good friends, and they were there for him. Also, we need to trust God to provide a, to provide a supernatural provision. There are times where we come at the end of ourselves. Actually, there's all the times we come to the end of ourselves. Do you actually believe that? Are you such a self-made person that you don't actually need God? You want God for eternity, you trust him with your salvation, you trust him with heaven, all that kind of stuff, but for the day in, day out, I, I got to do it on my own. Obviously, I'm not advocating sloppy living and all of that, but I, there are some of us that, that, that don't have any opportunities for God to step in, or we don't think we have any. Jeremiah, a person that was around when this is all going on with Daniel, he, he didn't get um, 
deported, stolen, captives, and sent to Babylon. He probably stays in Jerusalem, if you know the story about, in the area of, of, of uh, Jeremiah, and ends up maybe even going to Egypt. There's a whole big story about that. But while this is all going on, this is, this is something he writes. He says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. I don't think uh, Daniel got this in an email blog or something from Jeremiah, but Daniel would, would do this with his friends. Uh, he, he would beseech, don't use that word, he would call upon God and say, I need you to supernaturally jump into this situation. It's impossible. It's impossible. Show up. Jeremiah, Jesus' uh, half-brother, says this, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Finding fault, he doesn't like go, oh, you need help with that? Can't you pull that off? You know, he doesn't find fault. He actually likes it when we ask for help. He, he never feels like hiding in the pantry, <laughs> even though many of us do at times. He, he's not that kind of a, of, of a God. He, he, does not that. he does not hold it against us when we ask, and it will be given to you. This idea that there's all these things that we can ask and God wants to show up and work in our lives. It may be in a different way than we expect, but he does want to show up and work in our lives. But he wants us to ask. Uh, Rick Warren talks about this and he paints this picture that when he gets to heaven, he goes into this big storage area and he opens up this door and he finds this section called the Rick Warren section and he, and he finds all these things, all these circumstances, all these uh, even, even items and all this stuff, and, and he finds little tags on it, never asked for it, never asked for it, never asked for it. He goes, that horrifies me. What if I walk through life and am not in communication with my heavenly father, especially in the impossible situation or in any situation, and just don't even ask for him? As a dad, I like it when the girls ask. I like to come alongside with them. I like to, like to help them out with stuff sometimes when it costs money. But I, do, I like it when they call and they ask my opinion. I, I like that. And I, and I want to help them. And it, it makes me want to help them even more because they're trusting me. When someone asks you from a sense of trusting you, I don't know about that, but with you, that energizes me. I think that energizes God. When I go, God, I'm trusting you. I'm asking you because I think you can do this. Then all of a sudden he's like, yes, I love that. And I love providing for my children when what I provide actually helps them. Very quickly, ask, as you can think of this as three things, the same thing, ask, seek, and knock. And that's where asking, we're involved, we're engaged in that. So we ask ourselves, what am I leaning on? Uh, you know, what am I leaning on? Where, where am I at with all of this? Am I, am I leaning on myself when it comes to the impossible? Am I just giving up? Or am I, in a sense, looking to God? Six, get my focus off myself and onto God. Uh, we call that worship. Sometimes when we think of, boy, what's worship? Oh, we sing some songs, we're worshiping. No, it's when we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on God. We, we value him. So you and I can worship any place we go. We can worship at school. 
We can worship at work. It's when we, when we look at this situation and we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on him. It can happen anywhere. And that's, that's exactly what Daniel does. Then Daniel praises God of heaven and said, Praise be to God, the name of God forever and ever, and wisdom and power are his. And he just continues to go on with this prayer. And he's just celebrating who God is. He's worshiping him, but he's taking his eyes off himself and putting them on God. So the question with this one is, what do my prayers reveal? What do my prayers reveal? What do I pray for? Do I pray for a change of circumstances or do I pray for a change of my heart? Do I pray for stuff? I pray for things that um, actually I wouldn't want other people to know, or, or do I just not even pray it because I know my heart is so grabbing onto things that, that God would kind of like say, well, what are you doing with, what do you, why, why do you even want that? And so, and so we just know. So what do my prayers reveal? Um, for Daniel, real quickly, you know, he praises God for who he is, he honors God for what he does, and he thanks God for, for helping him. And, uh, you know, if you go through, you can see how those ideas line up to, to what uh, Daniel prays. And I know those of you guys are fascinated, taking notes, are going, is he going to click the slide? He's ready. He's trying to finish. Yeah, it will be online with the blanks filled in. Sorry. All right, number seven, <laughs> leverage what God provides to make a difference in others' lives or in lives. What's Daniel do? He, he's trying to make it, he's, he's, yeah, he wants to save his life, he wants to save his friends' lives, but he wants to save everybody's lives. And these everybody people are coming from all kinds of different walks. He actually cares about other people, even if they don't agree, don't do what he does. He just, he just wants to see people get saved from the king. He's, he's motivated that. So when the Lord provides something for you and me, when he works in our lives, when he gives us some kind of resource, some ability to help another person, do we just keep it to ourselves or do we leverage it to make a difference in somebody else's life? You know, when we celebrate communion once a month around here, one of the things we talk about is not just remembering what God's done for us, but then seeing what we can do, what he's, what he's done for us with others. So we do that love offering thing we, because, because we don't want to just be okay for ourselves. That's why we want to engage in the community. We want to leverage the goodness we've just sang about of God in our lives. We want to engage that and open the eyes to other people and maybe they'll get a glimpse of the God that we're trying to follow. And we can't do that if we just stay inside these four walls. We need to be out there. So instead, when we have goodness in our life, it isn't just so that we can be safe and be comfortable and be wonderful and all those kinds of things. It's so that we can actually leverage it to make a difference in somebody else's life. And this is what, exactly what Daniel does. He just, he just, he goes, he, he, he goes to the king and he is happy that the news that he has doesn't only save his life, but it saves everybody's life. And the question we ask, am I a difference maker? Are you a difference maker? Do you make a difference in other people's lives? Intentionally. Does it happen just by accident? Or do you, are you engaged in see, seeing how you can take what God has given you and leverage it to make a difference in somebody else's life? 
I'm not going to talk about this, but you can go online and find some really good sources on what the, the dream means and, and these kinds of things. And, and these are just some good ideas about that. But I'm going to jump on to point eight. Point eight is this, point people to God. When Daniel gets his answer, it, he doesn't take any credit. He doesn't take, this is, this is interesting. He says, there is a God in heaven. He doesn't come in, you know, I might have gone in and gone, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, I was up all night long praying, me, my buddies, and I have the answer. Listen to what God told me, but listen to what I have to say. He doesn't do that. It's all pointing to God. He, he pushes that this is because God showed up. It's not about him. He says there's a God in heaven, and what's amazing is Nebuchadnezzar starts to get this. Nebuchadnezzar is one of those kings we talked about earlier that eventually will make a decision to follow God, and this is planting some of the seeds of that. Nebuchadnezzar responds inappropriately, tries to worship Daniel and all this kind of stuff. He's like, no, 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 it's not me. He continues to point to God. When you and I find ourselves in impossible decisions and God starts to pull them together, do we, do we kind of say, yeah, again, I'm that self-made person? Or do we really understand that we ought to be pointing to God? He gives the dream. He shares what it was about. The king falls prostrate before Daniel and pays him honor and, and orders that an offering and incense be presented to him. Wrong thing. He's not getting it. The king says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you're able to reveal this mystery. And then the king does all kinds of wonderful things for Daniel. And listen to this. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it's just not about Daniel. He's trying to bring everybody along with him. It's not about him just arriving. He's bringing everyone along with him. And that's a heart that's pointing to God because it's not about him. So we ask this question, am I making a lasting impression which positively points to God? I'm always making an impression. Sometimes I'm always making a lasting impression. The question is whether it positively points to God. And I found people that can negatively point to God, but positively pointing to God. Impossible is possible. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for the story of Daniel. We thank you for the way he uh, had the depth to handle it in such an amazing way. And even me at 52 wonders if I would have been so mature in the way I handle it. And so, Lord, there's plenty for me to learn in this story. And I pray that my friends in this room would start to just mine the truth, dig the riches of this story, and find maybe three or four of these things that could be integrated into the way they operate their lives so that they could ultimately be pointing to you. And they also could find that they have a, a power and a presence, as we talked about last week, to face the impossible things in their lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.